everybody. Welcome to Radio Looks Lucid, episode 42. The title of today's episode is Pope Francis Calls for the New World Order. And welcome to the program. This is Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate that. I guess I should start maybe calling myself Late Night Steve or, or something like this because it seems like about the only time I get a chance to actually do one of these programs is uh, late at night. Right now it's about, uh, oh gosh, it's about 20 after twenty after 1 on a, on a Sunday morning. It's uh, Sunday uh, let's see, it's uh, March 28th, 2021. So so welcome for anybody up uh, late watching this live. Uh, thanks for joining me, and also uh, welcome to those who are, are listening to this as the podcast. It's always great to have all of you here. Well... I have I have some actually some good some good news here some good personal news here anyway. I'm on vacation this next week. I guess this is kind of like the uh uh the adult version of spring break or or something like that. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to take time off. I've been so backed up at work and and behind. I wasn't sure that I I'd, I'd be able to take time. I've actually managed to accrue a fair amount of vacation time just and, and things have been so busy I haven't been able to to take any of it, but uh, I was actually able to get caught up some here over the past couple weeks, and, and things are in pretty good shape. So, uh, so Lord willing, I'm, I'm, uh, I've, I've taken some some time off here this next week, and I intend to enjoy myself. I don't have any big plans as far as going anywhere, but I do have I do have a lot of plans though. This is always one of the things that's kind of interesting about uh, taking vacations. I always come up with this list of of uh, things that I'm going to get done. This big long list, and and I'm really ambitious. And I I usually find I get maybe I think about a quarter of the things done that I'm going to get done and then boom you know it's uh, the week's gone and I'm I'm uh, I'm back at work and I, I I don't know how that works that way but it, it's amazing how time flies on your week off and well you know I, I guess if I get a quarter of it done I guess that's something right at least it's it's not nothing it's it's getting something done so I'm going to enjoy this next week off uh, enjoy the nice weather and maybe get a chance to get out and do some things and and also do some work too. I, I want to have some fun, but I also want to want to get some stuff done. It's about that time of year too, where where I live, that uh, it's it's about time to start mowing the lawn. You know, it's I know it was officially spring last week, but it, it's not for me officially spring until you get that smell of cut grass and in uh, mulch and all of that other stuff. And and you know, sometimes I think working in the yard is is kind of a pain. And sometimes, honestly, I kind of like it. I mean, it's just nice. You know, I, I work uh, in my particular job. I spend all my time uh, at a computer screen, typing stuff up, sending emails, all of this kind of thing. And it's, it's sometimes nice just to get out of the house, get outside, do something, uh, that, that kind of thing. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I like to go bicycling on the weekends as well, which I did today. I had a chance to go out and, uh, and, and ride some. Uh, well, I guess it was on, uh, on Saturday, I should say. And that, that's always such a great time. Just get out, clear my head, get out, and you know, feel the sun, and uh, and all that type of thing. So that was that was a great time today. I hope that uh, this podcast. I hope that I'm able to finish this thing here, and I hope it doesn't get too noisy. It seems like there's a a little bit of a thunderstorm decided to roll into the area. So if you hear some some rumbling in the background, it may be uh, maybe that, or or hear some rain coming down because it's coming down kind of hard right now. Hopefully the electricity will hold up here, so we won't have uh, won't have a problem. But anyway, so let's get into uh, to today's topic here. the uh, the The title of this uh, this episode is Pope Francis Calls for New World Order. 
And I got this particular uh, title here. It's actually just from a uh, from an article that, that I found in Breitbart. And this actually this article dates from a couple weeks ago. This is uh, March fifteenth, twenty twenty one. And in fact, let me go ahead. I'm gonna gonna bring that article up here, and let's see if we can get this uh, get this going here. Um, do a screen share. Um, Let's see, we got that, and we got that, and there we go. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. Um, you can see the uh, the article in Breitbart. Pope Francis calls for new world order after the pandemic. So, you know, it's truly an amazing thing, the the way the globalists and the authoritarians have have used this pandemic. And, and I would say it's a fake pandemic. You know, I, I think that this has been been oversold. Um, by by a lot, and I think it's been oversold for the purpose of uh, pushing a an agenda. And I, I think we're seeing here that uh, the 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 basic agenda that the Pope's pushing. And I really do think that this is is the main thrust behind the agenda is is to push globalism, it's to push new world order. And Breitbart is actually one of the few that that might be the the most. A high-profile organization that has covered this story. It's been buried and ignored by by all of the major mainstream news outlets, at least that I've been able to find. I couldn't find any coverage of this story in in any of the mainstream publications. I'm talking here about the New York Times, you know, the the Wall Street Journal, NBC, ABC, CBS uh, here in the United States, or even some of the major organizations overseas. Whether you're talking about the BBC or or some of the uh, the British publications, I, I haven't been able to find any coverage of this uh, except in the the alternate press. And uh, Breitbart is the most prominent of all the the outlets that I could find the story in. So let's kind of dive in here and and see what it has to say. Uh, Pope Francis insisted a new book. Things will never be the same in a post pandemic world. Calling instead for the establishment of a new world order. In a book-length interview with journalist Domenico Agasso titled God and the World to Come, scheduled for release in Italian on Tuesday, the pontiff reiterates his case for the Great Reset with a shift away from financial speculation, fossil fuels, and military buildup toward a green economy based on inclusiveness. Now, this should come as a shock to absolutely no one, at least if you followed any of the work that, that I've done on this podcast or in some of the uh, the articles that I've written on, on the blog. And in fact, what we see here really is the Pope echoing the very same kind of language that is coming out of the World Economic Forum, as well as other globalist organizations in an attempt to use this so-called pandemic as an excuse for a massive power grab. And the article continues here. After the coronavirus pandemic, quote, no one today can afford to rest easy, end quote, the Pope declares in a lengthy extract from the book published by Vatican News. The world would never be the same again says the Pope, but it's precisely within this calamity that we must grasp those signs which may prove to be cornerstones of reconstruction. Let us all keep in mind that there is something worse than this crisis, the drama of wasting it. Now, that's kind of interesting there is he sounds, he sounds just like Rahm Emanuel. He was, I think, uh, I guess he was uh, one of Barack Obama's uh, chiefs of staff 
during uh, uh, his uh, Barack Obama's term in office. And in the famous quote that's been attributed to Rahm Emanuel is, never let a good crisis go to waste. So I guess the, the Pope, maybe he's, he's learning from Rahm Emanuel. And he, he, doesn't, uh, he, he wants to make sure to never let a good crisis go to waste. And let's see. Here's a, a tweet um, from Breitbart here. It says, The Great Reset is real. It's happening now and will lead to devastation. Worse, much, much worse than the Weimar Republic, a German economist has warned. So, yeah, I mean, the Great Reset, basically what it is, it's it's a, a reordering, not just of the world's financial system, but really of, of the whole world economy. And it's being pushed by some of these very elite organizations, such as the World Economic Forum, uh, such as the, the Roman Catholic Church, um, people like, uh, you know, individuals such as, say, Bill Gates and, and uh, the, the whole globalist the whole globalist entourage out there of, of which there are um, a number of people. And the Pope continues here. We can heal injustice by building a new world order based on solidarity. You notice that building a new world order based on solidarity, studying innovative methods to eradicate bullying, poverty, and corruption. He adds all working together, each for their own part without delegating and passing the buck. This new world order will be based on eradicating inequalities and attending to the environment, the Pope affirms. We can no longer blithely accept inequalities and disruptions to the environment, he declares. The path to humanity's salvation passes through the creation of a new model of development, which unquestionably focuses on coexistence among peoples in harmony with creation. So I guess he wants to uh, wants everybody to, to sing Kumbaya, uh, it appears. Now, what I think is, is particularly interesting here is is at the very end of this this article uh, I'm just going to going to read this. It's the last paragraph in the article, and this is again quoting the Pope. Against this planetary discord that is nipping the future of humanity in the bud, we need political action that is the fruit of international harmony. He declares, urging for an end to quote short sighted nationalism end quote and other forms of political selfishness in favor of multilateral solutions. So, you know, once again here, the, the Pope uh, comes out, not only does he come out for the Great Reset, which is just another term for world government. We talk about the, you know, the, the New World Order, the Great Reset. You know, the, these are all terms that, that are favored by, by the people that, that promote world government. You know that that's that that's this is the argot. This is the lingo that that the the globalists use, and of course the the Pope has to to um, um, put down or or denigrate nationalism, which he calls short sighted and political selfishness. You know this is all a very very bad thing apparently, and and the Pope he's not he's not too happy about that, which, which is not surprising, and that should surprise exactly no one. Now, what I'd like to do here too is is I, I want to kind of move on and, and talk a little bit about the uh, the new world order and its opposite, the Westphalian world order. the The new world order is geopolitical Romanism. The uh, Westphalian world order is geopolitical Protestantism. So let's kind of dive into that a bit here. Uh, Rome loves the idea of world government. And the popes of Rome and other church officials are not shy at all about expressing expressing this. 
I mean, one of the, the worst kept secrets in the entire world is that the, the Roman Catholic Church loves global government, loves world government. That the popes love world government, you know, and sometimes you say that to people and I think, well, that's just conspiracy theory. How can you say that? Well, the the reason that I can say that is because the the popes and other church officials say this, and they say it repeatedly, and they say it explicitly in the most in in, in the clearest possible terms. So this is, you know, if if it's a secret, if if uh, the the Roman Catholic Church advocating for world government is a secret, it's probably the worst kept secret ever. And, and you can take them at their word. I mean, they're telling you what it is that they want to do, but uh, so many people seem to to want to ignore that. Now, let's take a look here. Um, and this this is a quote out of uh, the uh, papal encyclical uh, Laudato Si, and it's also uh, requoted by uh, by uh, Pope Francis in uh, in his uh, latest encyclical Fratelli Fratelli Tutti. This is a quote here from Pope Francis, quote, Given this situation, it is essential to devise stronger and more efficiently organized international institutions with functionaries who are appointed fairly by agreement among national governments and empowered to impose sanctions. So you got that? Empowered to impose sanctions. Now, another quote, and this is something that, let's see, this is from... Uh, this is also from Fratelli Tutti. Pope Francis says this, In this regard, I would also note the need for a reform of the United Nations organization and likewise of economic institutions and international finance so that the concept of the family of nations can acquire real teeth. So, you know, they, they want the United Nations to have real teeth by which they mean that they empower to impose sanctions, apparently. Now, again, you can find... Probably dozens. And in one of the things I guess I need to do here one of these days when I get the time, and I'm probably not going to have the time when I'm off. Uh, maybe I can at least start it. I don't know. But to compile a list of all the quotes by, by popes and by other officials of the Roman Catholic Church in calling for world government, because it's not hard to find these things at all. They don't, like I say, it's, it's maybe the worst kept secret in the world. Um, they, they make this very explicit. One of my favorite uh, one of my favorite examples of uh, of uh, of claims of statements uh, for world government is out of an article was written by Rod Dreher in the American Conservative, and this actually was a, an article that dates back to 2011. And and the, the title of this this particular uh, article it's called Vatican Calls for World Government, really, and it's kind of interesting because it's written by Rod Dreher, and Rod Dreher is uh, yeah, he's a Bigfoot columnist. I I mean he was at the time, of course, he was writing for the American Conservative, and I, I know that he's gone on. He's his work appears in a lot of major publications, so so he's a guy that's pretty well known as a as a columnist. I think he started out life uh, he was some kind of a some kind of an evangelical. I don't recall whether he was a Baptist or a Methodist. I think it was one of those two. And he went on and became a Roman Catholic, and I believe now he is he is Orthodox. Um, but in in 2011, and I, I don't know what what his what phase of his his religious beliefs were at the time. But uh, but he wrote this article, and he sounds almost 
a little bit breathless when you read through that. And, and let me just, just read through a bit of his article here. Here's news about a new economic policy statement from the Vatican. Lots of good stuff in the document about abuses in the neoliberal world economy and the need for reform. But then there's this from Reuters. The Vatican calls for the establishment of a supranational authority with worldwide scope and universal jurisdiction to guide economic policies and decisions. Such an authority should start with the United Nations as its reference point, but later become independent and be endowed with the power to see to it that developed countries were not allowed to wield excessive power over weaker com uh, countries. <laughs> and and uh, Rod Dreher seems actually pretty amazed by this. And he writes here, a little bit later, he says, Lord have mercy. What was once only in the febrile prophetic imagination of Jack Chick and Hal Lindsey is now a press release from the Vatican. A friend who's not an evangelical writes, this is going to freak the evangelicals out. But it makes me wonder what the heck is going on in the minds of these Vaticanites. Don't they have a clue how the world will perceive this? One world authority? Really? And then, uh, then Dreyer comes back and he says, count me with the evangelicals. It freaks me out too, and it'll freak out many Orthodox Christians. I bet it has the same effect on not a few Catholics as well. Maybe Malachi Martin wasn't such a conspiracy freak after all. All right, so I guess a few things about this. I, I think it's interesting that this this uh, this friend of, of Rod Dreher says this is going to freak the evangelicals out. Well, I don't know that it really did. It should freak the evangelicals out. I mean, Protestants should absolutely be be talking about this all the time. But what do you hear from Protestants? You hear thunderous silence. You know, Protestant pastors are afraid to criticize Rome, and it's it's almost um, theologically incorrect to do so. I remember one time I was at a uh, at a uh, men's. Oh, it was uh, just a men's Bible study, and and I don't even remember how the topic came up, but there's some talk about Roman Catholicism, and I made the comment, you know, that the Roman Catholic Church believes in the real presence of Christ in the Mass, and I, I got the sense that it was kind of an uncomfortable topic to bring up, and then some of my my uh, uh, the the fellows that were there actually tried to push back on it. They say, "Oh, well, well, no, they don't. They 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 don't teach that." And and there was and there were some people there who should have known better, and yet they they insisted that that I was was wrong in, in characterizing the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church uh, as uh, one of the features of the teaching. Anyway, is that they believe in the real presence of Christ in the Mass. Well, that is one of the most important distinctives of Roman Catholic teaching. And and you can find that they're very open about this, but you know there I they're, you kind of get this sense that so many um, even people who would call themselves Bible believing or conservative evangelicals or Protestants will not um, don't either don't understand what Rome teaches, or if they do, they they seem to be embarrassed to talk about it or to criticize Rome for the teaching that they have for the anti-Christian teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. The Rome, by all means, teaches that uh, teaches the real presence of Christ in the Mass. That and that's not a side doctrine for Rome. Uh, that's that is central to uh, to Roman Catholic uh, to the Roman Catholic liturgy. It, it's not something that that is a uh, is an option. Um, for uh, um, for the Roman Catholic Church and uh, and and for uh, the uh, the uh, the Roman Catholic people, you know that they are required to believe this.
Uh, now, I'm not going to get into a big, long discussion about about the mass right now, but I simply just wanted to point out the fact that there's, first of all, a lot of ignorance about Roman Catholic doctrine among evangelicals. And again, even people who should know better um, seem to to not know. And, you know, the... You know this comment by by Rod Dreher's friend that you know that this idea of a of a of a one world government that's going to manage our finances and it's universal in scope and all this other stuff and that that's going to freak people out. Well, yeah, it should freak people out, but it doesn't. And in fact, it doesn't seem most evangelicals are even listening to what Rome is saying, and they should listen to them because they're telling you what they they you know you can take them at their word. Um, and this is, you know, the uh, the popes the, and, and various Vatican officials, they repeat this kind of thing on a very regular basis, and they do so in very clear language. So, I mean, it's not something there, there should be any question about. But instead of being freaked out and asking questions and preaching against this stuff, it seems like uh, evangelicals, it seems like Protestants are willing to go out of their way to try to make alliances. Uh, with the Roman Church state, and uh, one of the uh, the reasons why I say this is, you know, there, there was a headline a few years ago. I think it was when the Pope uh, Pope Francis came to to the United States for a visit in the fall of 2015. But it was an article in Christianity Today. It was called "From Antichrist to Brother in Christ," and it was chock full of all these quotes from supposedly representative, you know, big shot uh, evangelical pastors or or figures, leading figures, you know, talking about how great the Pope was. And and the, the Pope's teaching, the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, cannot be reconciled with the Bible. You know, at the very heart of the Bible is justification by faith alone, or justification by belief alone, as as John Robbins liked to put it. And and what that means is that we are our, our sins are forgiven, that we are considered acceptable in the sight of God, not based on anything that we do, but by faith in Christ, in his finished work on the cross, and his righteousness imputed to us. It's not something that we do. It's not the work of our hands that saves us. It's the work of Christ that saves us. And that was the central doctrine of the Reformation. And that's something that that the Bible teaches. It's something that the Protestants affirmed, and it's something that the Roman Catholic Church denies. Uh, and and so I mean the, the Roman Catholic Church. When we talk about that, I mean it is not a Christian church, and and for that reason it isn't. And and there are a lot of other terrible doctrines that are out there. Uh, and and of course one of them is is the globalism. Um, but you know the the globalism of Rome really comes from the denial of the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. So yes, the uh, the Roman Catholic Church is very clearly a. Uh, a globalist organization. and But there are very few, not only just churches that won't point this out, or, or, or not only are there very few churches that, that will point out the globalism of Rome, there are very few news organizations as well that will do this. I think it's interesting that, that Breitbart uh, pointed this out. Every now and then, um, even Alex Jones will talk some about uh, about the globalism of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, he doesn't lay the axe to the root the way that he should, but he does at least uh, occasionally talk about this. And in fact, I think that, uh, that InfoWars did cover this particular story a couple weeks ago as well. Now, 
One thing that, you know, this is something that is, is worth pointing out. I talk some about the New World Order, Romanism versus the Westphalian World Order, Protestantism. So the New World Order is basically just globalism. Think of it like that. And the, the biggest... Uh, the biggest purveyor, not the only one, but certainly the biggest purvey of globalism is the Roman Catholic Church. The New World Order is essentially geopolitical Roman Catholicism. It's opposed, on the other hand, by the Westphalian World Order, which is geopolitical Protestantism. And let's learn a little bit about that. There's an article that I found out, out uh, on the web. It's a pretty good article. It's uh, from uh, the Constitution Party written by a gentleman named Daryl Castle. And the title of it is The Peace of Westphalia and the New World Order. So let's just read through a little bit of this. We hear the term New World Order all the time. We're afraid of the term. And I, I would add that he didn't write this, but we should be afraid of the term. Uh, but if there's a new world order, then what of the old world order? The political order which has existed for hundreds of years. If we are suspicious of and resistant to the new world order, what order are we trying to conserve? To find out the history and character of the old world order, we need to travel back in time to the 17th century to the time of the Thirty Years' War. The Thirty Years' War was fought in Europe from 1618 to 1648. It began when the, Aust when the Austrian Habsburg Empire tried to impose Roman Catholicism on their Protestant subjects in Bohemia. So there was this terrible pan-European war is, is what took place. There's this pan-European war, there are, there are many, I mean, it, it, there were many nations involved. You know, we sometimes think of World War I and World War II as being very devastating, uh, which they were. But there was a war that, that took place back in the 17th century that was maybe just as devastating. It was, it was terrible. And it went on not just for four years or four, I guess, what, uh, World War I was, was four years and, and World War II, um, well, I guess that was six years. Well, this war went on, the Thirty Years' War went on, oddly enough, for 30 years, believe it, believe it or not. It, uh, it, it lasted for 30 years. And it was settled by the Treaty of Westphalia. And that's why the, you know, what they call the, the, the old world order here in this article, the old world order, or even the existing world order, is really the Westphalian world order. And it is geopolitical Protestantism, because it was the Protestants that won the Thirty Years' War. You know, the good guys won that fight. And what came out of that was was the, the, the world order. And if I would, and I'm going to describe it to you in just a minute, but you might be asking, okay, well, what, are, what does the Westphalian world order mean? What, what, what are the chief ideas of the Westphalian world order? And I'm going to tell it to you. I'm going to, going to actually read through them. This article it does some, a very nice job sort of summarizing what the Westphalian world order is. And you're probably going to say, well, that just sounds like common sense. Well, remember, it took uh, 30 years of, of warfare to establish these principles. And throughout most of human history, these ideas have not prevailed. So it's not common sense. I mean, this is actually um, something that I, and, and I think you can argue and find this, this in the scriptures themselves. Uh, but let's just uh, take a look at how the uh, how uh, Darrow Castle summarizes the uh, the Westphalian world order, and he gives us four bullet points here. First, each state could keep its own religion without outside interference. Second, the international affairs of each nation state was to be left alone. So you, you didn't you know you, you didn't have uh, one country trying to meddle in the affairs of another of another country. 
The nation-state was to be the highest form of government, and these nation-states would not be governed by clerics or religious leaders. So we have the separation of church and state. Each nation agreed to, uh, to only attack other nations if it was immediately and strategically threatened. They would no longer attack each other just because one nation did not like what the other was doing. No preemptive attacks, only immediate threats. So, you know, that's, that's a, I think, a pretty good summary of, of the Westphalian world order. And, and get, let's go back to number three there. You know, the nation state was to be the highest form of government, and needed nation states would not be governed by clerics or religious leaders. Okay, so, I mean, right there, in, in, right there we can see how the Westphalian world order is is uh, adamantly opposed to, uh, to the new world order, because the new world order is all about globalism. You know, we read earlier about how uh, how the uh, let, let's go back to that article there by Rod Dreher, and he quotes this press release that you find uh, this press release from from Reuters. So let's read that. The Vatican called for the establishment of a supranational authority with worldwide scope and universal jurisdiction to guide economic policies and decisions. Such an authority should start with the United Nations as its reference point, but later become independent and be endowed with the power to see to it that developed countries are not allowed to wield excessive power over weaker countries. And you can see in this quote here from, from Pope Francis, he says, In this regard, I was also note the need for a reform of the United Nations, and likewise of economic institutions and international finance, so that the concept of the family of nations can acquire real teeth. You know, we go back to that quote from Laudato Si. This is, again, Pope Francis. Given this situation, it is essential to devise stronger and more efficiently organized international institutions with functionaries who are appointed fairly by agreement among national governments and empowered to impose sanctions. So you can see all of this is about global government uh, and about subjecting nations to a, a world government that sits above all of the other national governments. And, and bosses all of these these recalcitrant nations around. But in the Westphalian world order, the nation-state was to be the highest form of government, and these nation-states would not be governed by clerics or religious leaders. So, if, if you are a... Uh, if you're somebody who favors um, uh, national... the nation-state as the highest form of government, you are, at least in a geopolitical sense of the word, you're, you're a political Protestant. And that's one of the things that the uh, that Donald Trump did that I thought was quite good. Donald Trump was a a champion of the Westphalian World Order. Now I don't think he ever came out and specifically talked about the Westphalian World Order, but he he definitely championed uh, what's sometimes called the so you know, national sovereignty. You know that the United States, as well as other nations, had the ability to make the run their internal affairs the way they wanted to without outside interference. And of course, he was hated by the political establishment in part because of that. And not just the political establishment in the United States, but also the political establishment around the world, all of these globalists. I mean, I remember when Donald Trump was running for president back in 2016, you know what first got me interested in in actually... Uh, supporting Donald Trump was when he punched back on the Pope. You know, the Pope uh, made some comment, you know, the, that, you know, those who want to build walls, not bridges, you know, that man, you know, isn't Christian. And of course he was, it was a veiled reference. He didn't mention, the Pope didn't mention Donald Trump by name, but, but he was of course talking about Donald Trump who, you know, whose big, 
probably most prominent campaign promise of 2016 is he wanted to build a wall along the southern border of the United States between the U.S. and Mexico to prevent all of the the illegal immigration, the migration, the human trafficking and smuggling, uh, drug smuggling, all of this this stuff that's going on. Uh, and he repeatedly uh, talked about Donald Trump, that is. He repeatedly, once he became president, he repeatedly talked about the importance of uh, of national sovereignty. I mean, th- this was something that that was was very much the case with Donald Trump. But of course, Donald Trump, you know, I don't believe Donald Trump is a Christian, but I do think that he he had a Christian understanding of uh, of uh, uh, of national sovereignty. And, and of course, this was something that they very much put him at uh, at loggerheads with the Pope. And of course, now we have a Roman Catholic. We have uh, Joe Biden, Roman Catholic, who's who's president. And and Joe Biden actually has a picture of the Pope uh, in the Oval Office. Picture of Pope Francis. There was a, a photo that was taken of uh, of Joe Biden. Um, I don't know, a month or two back, and he's sitting there at the Resolute desk in the Oval Office, and you can see this picture of of Pope Francis behind his right shoulder. I think it was his right shoulder. Um, anyway, whatever shoulder, you you could actually see uh, the, this picture of, of Pope Francis back there. And, and of course, Joe Biden is, is working very hard to carry out Pope Francis' agenda. Uh, he's doing that with uh, immigration. He's doing that with the Green New Deal. Um, you know, Joe Biden has put us back into the, the United States. He's put the United States back into the Paris Accord. Um, all of this globalist stuff. And basically, he's just enacting uh, Pope Francis' um, political agenda. He's doing it here in the United States. And uh, I think this is something that, that as Christians, I mean, we very much need to pray against and we need to speak out against and we need to to resist this because it's it's a very evil agenda. So... You know what I what I would say here is all of this this talk that we hear you know about the new world order, you know just remember you know the big takeaway is that that's geopolitical Romanism, and that it's an attempt to supplant the Westphalian world order, which is the existing world order, which was established as a result of the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648, and the the Westphalian world order is geopolitical Protestantism. Now, one of the things that's kind of interesting, maybe in closing and in, in talking about the, the comparison between the, the New World Order and the Westphalian World Order, um, you might expect that uh, at the time of the Treaty of Westphalia that the Pope wouldn't be happy about that. And in fact, the uh, the Pope was very unhappy uh, about all this. This is a, a quote from Innocent X in, in a bull he wrote called Zello Domus Dei, uh, Zeal of the House of the Lord. Is the uh, that that's the Latin title, but it's translated zeal for the zeal of the house of the Lord, and uh, this is what Pope Innocent the Tenth uh, said when in, when referring to the the Treaty of Westphalia, he called it quote null, void, invalid, iniquitous, unjust, damnable, reprobate, inane, empty of meaning, and effect for all time end quote. So that that's what the Pope uh, the Pope thought about the Treaty of Westphalia, and I guess you'd have to say, um, well, he was a little bit triggered. <laughs> he he didn't like that one bit, and and it's and and of course it's understandable why he wouldn't like it one bit because it it uh, it was a a major blow. You know, we talk about the Reformation dealing a a mortal blow uh, to the Roman Church state, 
and and it did, and it was it was uh, it was very devastating uh, for the power of Rome. But of course, Rome is uh, now an institution recovering from a mortal blow or a mortal wound, I should say. Um, so where is all this heading? You know, so we you know we talk about the new world order, we talk about the Westphalian world order, and we talk about the the big push for globalism. So where is all this heading? Well, um, in his book, and this is actually one of my sorry about the little microphone noise there. Um, this is one of my all time favorite books. It's called. Uh, hold it up here for those who are, are watching. It's called Ecclesiastical Megalomania, The Economic and Political Thought of the Roman Catholic Church. This was written by John Robbins in 1999. It was published then anyway. So it's a, a little bit over 20 years old, I guess 22 years old. Um, but it's it's an exceptional book. And if you want to understand the politics and economics of the Roman Catholic Church, you have to read this book. It's available from the Trinity Foundation and. Uh, it's a very reasonably priced. I think you can get a paperback version for about $10. And it's worth every penny you pay for it. I highly, highly, highly recommend this book. But let's see. Uh, there's a chapter. In chapter 19, it's just titled World Government. So I'm going to just read a little bit out of this for you. Um, this is a quote here. Quote, What the Roman church state accomplished on a small scale during the Middle Ages is what it desires to achieve on a global scale in the coming millennium. End quote. So what Rome's trying to do is they're basically trying to impose scalable tyranny on the world. You know, of course, they they ran Europe uh, up until the time of, of the Protestant Reformation when they, uh, you know, they received their uh, uh, a mortal wound from the, uh, the widespread preaching of and belief in the gospel of justification by faith alone. But what they're trying, I mean, the Rome is, is an institution recovering from this mortal wound, and they're trying to scale up their tyranny. You know, I mean, they, they did this in, in Europe on, uh, uh, on, on, the, uh, on the scale of, uh, I guess, the, the continent or at least the region of, of Europe, and now they're trying to push us on the whole world. Can they do it? I, I, I don't know. I mean, they, you know, it depends on uh, certain things, the way you, you understand the book of Revelation. I'm not trying to to get in in on all of that into all of that right now but there's no question that's their intention is is to do this you know they you know Rome wants once again you know it wants to be the woman who rides the beast that's the uh that's 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 what they're aiming for that that's what they're trying to do and you need to understand this especially as Christians you need to understand that Rome wants to rule the world and that's that's not a joke. It's not a it's not conspiracy theory. I mean, they've come right out and they 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 say it. I mean, Rome loves world government. Now, I, I think it's very interesting, you know, that in, in the Bible, you know, we see an early attempt to create world government in the Tower of Babylon. You can see the account of that in in Genesis chapter eleven. But God uh, God cut that work short. And not only did he confuse the language of the people, but he also separated them into to individual nations. So instead of one all-powerful kingdom, the people were were separate. You know, they they had they were they were separate nations and and they were separate governments. And you know, the, the apostle Paul tells us the the reason why he, why why God did that. And this was in his his sermon on Mar, Mar, Mars Hill. Paul tells us that God did this, quote, so that they, and that's the nations of men, should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him. 
you know, with the with the Tower of Babel, you know, they were it apparently was something where they were they were trying to to reach heaven on their own, and it was this sort of uh, giant world government, uh, very idolatrous, very arrogant, um, and and they wanted to to uh, you know accomplish this this uh, uh, reaching to the heavens all in their own steam. You know, they they didn't want to do things God's way; they wanted to do things their way, and and God ended that work. And, and he broke up that that worldwide empire into separate nations. You know, one of the the most important concepts in in the American government that was uh, it was built into our, our system was uh, was the idea of the separation of powers. You have the separation of powers at the federal level. You know, you have the the executive, legislative, and judicial branches of government. But it wasn't even just uh, the federal government where there was separation of powers. The the federal system that we have where you have not only a federal government, but you have state governments, you have local governments, you have competing authorities. You know, and the state governments do not derive their power from the federal government. In fact, the federal government derives its power from the states. And and you also have, have local governments that are, are independent of, uh, of the states of which they are a part. So you have federal, state, and local governments, and they all have... Uh, have authority, and these are competing spheres of of authority. And and by by breaking up government like that, it makes it more difficult for evil men to to seize control of the apparatus of government and and impose their uh, their wicked ideas. You know, and some people will get out and they're denounced as you know as legislative gridlock and you know this kind of thing. Well, thank goodness we have that. You know, praise God that we have. Uh, government that's where you you have multiple centers of power. Thank God for that, because it's these these big huge empires throughout world history that have done so much damage, and and that seems to be you know with uh, with sinful men the the way that we are. I mean, when you get these these giant. Uh, organizations with uh, with unlimited power, or at least at least maybe not unlimited, but certainly um, a great deal of power, they also can do a great deal of harm. And one conclusion we can take from the whole from the Tower of Babel and from Paul's sermon is that God disapproves of world government, and He approves of a system of co-equal nation states. That is to say, that God hates the new world order, and He approves of the Westphalian world order. Now, we can expect the Antichrist popes of Rome to continue their attempts to impose world government, uh, as, and, and as their designs are at odds with the Lord's designs, uh, of course, they're going to lose in the end. You know, the popes are going to lose in the end. But that doesn't mean that they can't cause a lot of damage between now and the return of Christ. They can. And it almost seems likely that they will. And as believers, it's our duty to be salt and light uh, in the world. I mean, in this world, it seems to be getting darker all the time. It's our job to be salt and light. It's our job to, to duty to pray against, uh, pray against Antichrist. I think even Charles Spurgeon said that someplace. He said it was the, the duty of every Christian to pray against Antichrist. Well, that is our duty. And, and that's something that, that we need to do. And, and it's something that I think for too long we, we have not done uh, as Protestants. So this is something that, that very much needs to change. And uh, 
With that, I think I'll, uh, I'll wrap things up here for today. Thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate that. I always enjoy um, being able to, to do these, these podcasts. And, and I hope that you got something out of that. I pray that you did. And we'll uh, look forward to, uh, to being back next week, maybe with my, uh, the week off and, and having some extra time. I don't know, who knows? Maybe I might even be able to, to sneak in an extra podcast or, or something like that here through the week. So, so we'll see. But anyway, at any rate, until next time, uh, I wish you a, a blessed Lord's Day. And uh, look forward to, uh, to talking to you again here sometime soon. So until that next time, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's Word. Good night, everybody.